And you know you're going to be creative when you get pushed so far out of your comfort zone that you don't think you can do it. Welcome to Beyond the Fourth Wall. In this podcast, we're investigating how the skills we cultivate as theater artists transfer beyond our industry. I'm Lindy. And I'm Joseph. Each week, I'll be chatting with creatives from many different industries. And every couple of episodes, I'll hop in with Lindy for a conversation connecting the dots and applying what we learn to our everyday lives. We're so glad you're here. Now get ready to go Beyond the Fourth Wall. Hey y'all, it's Joseph. Next up in our Creative Conversation series is our chat with Central Kentucky chef and restaurateur, Weta Michael. Weta is a James Beard Foundation Award nominee, and her name is synonymous with Kentucky cuisine. In this episode, we'll hear her talk about taking creative risks, finding your creative voice, and the power of innovation. Enjoy this bonus episode of Creative Conversations with Weta Michael. Michael, it is so good to have you with us on Creative Conversations. Thank you for being here. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I want to launch in with just a little bit about your artistic journey. You and I have had several conversations through projects that we've worked on together about how related our fields are and Mm -hmm. that uh, our mediums are a little bit different in that I work in theater and you work with food and in culinary arts, but much of what we do is storytelling, the both of us. So tell me a little bit about how you feel about that and how you came to find the culinary arts as your your medium. I think of cooking sometimes as a an installation, you know, an, an experience, a performance art in a way. It can be. I started doing that probably before I became professionally trained as a chef, kind of staging events. But one thing that really influenced me, when I moved back to Kentucky in 1993, my mom was part of an artist group of women. And everybody had a different medium. My mom was a poet. And she also, if you've been to Holly Hill, she's done several paintings hanging in the dining room. And she was a potter, kind of a Renaissance woman. And she had friends who were dancers and they got together. They were sort of a radical little group. And I was like the chef representative. And we staged this dinner party at my mother's home where I prepared the meal based on poetry. Each artist contributed their medium. So one person was a hat maker and she made a hat for everybody in the group. The poets wrote poetry that they performed that night. We made um, drawings of ourselves and hung them all over the dining room. And the table was transformed in this strange way. And so I started thinking at that time that cooking can be a craft where, and that's what restaurants do. Restaurants are involved in tech, the technique of cooking. There's, so there's different, there's a, two, a duality in my career with me of how, how can I be creative with this? And also it's my professional craft. 
So I am often showing people how to saute a piece of chicken. That's not so creative. <laughs> but important though, because in order to in order to be creative, you have to have that foundation of the craft. Right. Just like those dance steps, right, Lindy? And all those Exactly. All those scales that you have to sing over and over and over again. It's so true. You do have to have that foundation of technique. And then once you have a solid command of your craft, that's when you can really start to get creative. I mean, it's true. I think one of the things that's interesting about performance, like what you're involved with music and dance is, is that it, from the outset, it's, it's the start of a creative process. And I think in our society, unfortunately, cooking has sort of lost that. Just more as, as an eater, it's just become more rote, what we eat, how we eat. And we, we sped up the process so much and isolated it so much from each other. So we rarely participate in cooking creatively or eating creatively or dining creatively. Instead, I feel like our society has become like we have to control everything we eat and we can't taste anything out of this little box. And, you know, we have to be able to eat it in our car and buy it in our car. So I know um, from our previous chats that we've had before that one of the things that you have wanted to do with your family of restaurants is salute Kentucky's unique culinary voice. I know that's something that's been really important to you from the beginnings at Holly Hill Inn all the way through Honeywood and Zim. So what can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly that means to you, Kentucky's unique culinary voice? Well, we have this, you know, 200 plus year of tradition of agriculture, cooking and hospitality in Kentucky. And I don't know, in the last few days, I feel like I'm rethinking it all. In order to keep it alive, we have to figure out what's unique about what we do in our culture and not just what we have done in the past, but bringing it forward and bringing it into the future. And for me, that all centers around local agriculture because I don't really think you can have a unique cuisine unless you're expressing what's growing in your community. And in Kentucky, we're just extremely lucky. And I think this pandemic has brought it home to me even more. We're extremely lucky to have such a strong farming community. Our farmers are really collaborative, our small farmers in Kentucky. And it's been my great pleasure to collaborate with them for you know almost 25 years at this point in Kentucky. That is a really important part of what I want to do. And I want to make sure that everything that we're eating in central Kentucky isn't exactly what they're eating in Dayton, Ohio, and isn't exactly what they're eating in Springfield, Illinois, and across the country. But what are we cooking and eating that's really unique to what we're growing and unique to our heritage, but also inclusive of who we are becoming as a commonwealth? One of the things that I think is so amazing about your growth as a restaurateur here in Kentucky and how all of your restaurants came to be. I find that entire journey so creative. Tell us a little bit about the inspiration for Holly Hill Inn, how that came to be, and then how that kind of grew from one one place building upon the next, upon the next, upon the next. You truly have this complete uh, palette of different options and ways to express this culinary voice through all of your different restaurants. Oh, that's so nice to hear you say that. That makes me feel great, actually. Um, so Holly Hill Inn 
is inspired, it's deeply inspired by place. Okay, so it's it's an old 160-year-old home on 10 acres in one of the oldest parts of Kentucky, of central Kentucky and midway Kentucky. And so you can't walk in or even up to the Holly Hill Inn and say, oh, I'm going to go in there and eat a burger. It's just not a burger place. So from the very outset, Chris and I had a specific vision, a pastoral vision of a semi-rural restaurant that would um, really focus on what was coming in locally. And hopefully, I mean, I've owned the Holly Hill Inn now 20 years, so my initial inspiration has somewhat changed over the course of my career. I think at first when I opened it, I really wanted to be a chef superstar. I can't lie about that. (laughs) I wanted to just, you know, I wanted it to be the inn at Little Washington. And I had no idea how much capital that really takes. But the part we got right was just this changing menu. And and after a period of time, I would say in my early 40s, I realized, hey, this is in Kentucky. I don't need to be worried about expressing a continental cuisine. I need to be worried about expressing my own cuisine. And that cuisine is the cuisine of central Kentucky. And then I became very focused on that. That was an epiphany of sorts. Um, And it helped to have a baby. So I had Willa and she sort of helped me focus. And I I had her when I was 40. So I think it was right around all of those life-changing events. When we were in the early years of operating the Holly Hill Inn, you know, there wasn't a lot of local processing in Kentucky for meats and fish and all this kind of thing. And there were some local farmers that were selling, but, and a friend of mine said, well, fine dining is the prison of local food, locally grown food. And he said it in the room that I'm sitting in right now, which is one of the dining rooms at Holly Hill. And I thought, oh, that's terrible. And so that started this long march toward these sandwich shops, Wallace Station, Windy Corner, Smithtown Seafood. And each restaurant is in its own community. So they all have to be a little different. You know, Smithtown is downtown on West 6th Street. It has to express that neighborhood. And same for Windy Corner, same for Wallace Station. And Honeywood is an expression of, you know, what I wanted to do there was to say, as I get older, gosh, you know, I have to think, how, what's, honey, what is the succession plan for what we started at Holly Hill Inn? We need some really new imaginative ways of putting this food together for people. That's the way they want to eat now. They want more casual experiences, but it needs to be nice. And, you know, at least I want it to be nice. So Honeywood is this um, sort of progressive younger sister of Holly Hill Inn. Although now Tyler McNabb is the chef for Holly Hill Inn and he's just so creative. He's, I learn something new from him every week. So I don't know, honey, Holly Hill Inn is going through a renaissance as well. That's amazing. To feel that generational change. It's one of the things I love the most. You have a foundation of technique and then upon that you build that creative flair and you take the inspiration from what, who the people you're seeking to serve in each one of your restaurants. So How do we take sautéing that piece of chicken and turn it into those masterpieces that are fit just for Holly Hill Inn or fit just for Wallace Station? What is your creative process like for adapting recipes for different places? Like like any art, you have to really think about, you, you have to get rid of all the other noise. Do you know, do you do this where, you know, and for me, a noise, noise might be doing a Google search for a steak Diane. Okay, 
that's one thing. Oh, all right, I've got this little filet. I want to figure out how to do a steak Diane. What's in that? Oh, yeah, I remember now it's mushroom shallot, yada, yada, yada. That's all culinary noise. That's sort of the culinary codification of Western cuisine. So you have to set that aside for a minute. And then you have to say, what am I really trying to evoke? Okay, a sense of history, a sense of place. And last year at Holly Hill, Tyler and I went through a series of poems, seven poems, and we wrote seven menus inspired by seven Kentucky poets. And each poet, we tried to write the menu in the style of that poet. So like Maurice Manning wrote these series of poems called Bucolic. The name of the collection is Bucolic, and it's about the bucolic nature of the landscape in Kentucky and how amazing it is. And he evokes that through a series of, of poetic characters and conversations and the description of landscape is you can think of a bucolic landscape and you can kind of see and feel that poem in your mind. And the, the menu had to express that in the same way. And that was really amazing because you have these file drawers in your head, this way I think about it. And in one file drawer, all these recipe cards that you've made. And in another file drawer, you have these visions and images. It's less a file drawer and more of a cloud. And uh, these visions and images of music and poetry. And you're trying to figure out how to connect those two things together to create an expressive menu. For me, it's not as much about a dish, but about a progression of dishes that can take the diner through a certain experience. But that's a very hard thing to do inside of a restaurant. And increasingly, that's what I love about the Holly Hill Inn, because that's what I, I like doing. Now, my guests don't always like it. <laughs> they want steak and potatoes. <laughs> but, some, but, but a lot of my guests will indulge me and allow me to... <laughs> Perhaps that's why I've really opened up all these other restaurants so the Hollywood could just be this little weird experiment. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's sort of like your blank canvas. It is. Yeah. To really have a, a, a creative playground. Well, one of, one of um, my favorite collaborations of all time in my career was when we collaborated on a project called Script to Table. And much like what you did with the poetry, we asked you to do a, a dinner based on the collective works of Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> no, no easy feat. And you knocked it out of the park. It was incredible. And I would just love to know now that we're a few months past that process, what was that like for you? That was one of the, that was my all time favorite collaboration I've ever done. And you know, you're going to be creative when you get pushed so far out of your comfort zone that you don't think you can do it. And that first time when I was with you and Brock, where you all were singing that whole musical, I'm like, I can't do this. These poor people, they think that I, I'm like, what the hell have I gotten myself into? I, why did I tell her I could do this? I was like, there is no way I could do this. I loved it because then I got to really immerse myself in Sondheim. I learned so much. It was an amazing experience for me. I thought the company knocked it out of the park. I want to do another one of those uh, one day. I just loved that. I really adored it. 
We did too. We will. We will. When the time is right, we will. I know. But I, I want to go back to something that you said that I think is so important, which was you said, you know, I know it's going to be great because we're all a little scared out of our minds. And <laughs> we were a little scared of our out of our minds, too. We were, it was our first Stephen Sondheim production. It was a, a new venue, a new concept. You know, Brock and I were equally as terrified as you were. <laughs> but we all, I remember a moment where we all talked about that and said, well, we know it's going to be great because we're all feeling pushed out of our comfort zone. And I do think that as a really key part of the creative process and of creating, which is feeling that fear, but taking the risk anyway. Yeah. Can you talk a little, I'm sure that translates to a lot of what you do. It does. And it's, I mean, the, the thing that you and I have in common I think was really pointed out by that collaboration is that, yes, we are stepping out of a comfort zone, but in the end, unlike some other creative processes that are more private, what you do and I do depend upon an audience and we have to deliver because <laughs> we're making them pay to come. And so there is this, at some point, this pressure point where it's like, okay, that food better get on the plate and get out to the dining room. You know, it's like, get the cocktails and the glasses, move it, you know. And you're out there going, get to the green room, get your costume on. <laughs> Practice that note. No, you're not in it. It was so, I felt like, oh my gosh, you know, all of this, we do have that in common. One of my other favorite moments of that scripted table process was on our opening night, which you kept pointing out to me that you guys didn't quite get the dress rehearsal that we did because you couldn't prepare all the dishes the night before. Like we got to have our big dress rehearsal. But I remember so vividly, it was about an hour before the guests were going to arrive. And our team was on stage and backstage getting everything ready. And your team was setting tables and putting out that beautiful Into the Woods first course that you did. And it was just it was artists in motion yeah. in in completely different mediums, but we were all with that same focus and we were all preparing for this opening night for both of us. It was so it was so clear to me in that moment how parallel culinary arts and theatrical arts really are. Yeah, I love that. Actually, I hadn't thought about that till you just said that, but I can I can see that room in my mind as you were describing it. And because I remember I was running around from table to table. We had like, we were touching each table like 25 times. We had so much different stuff going on. And then in the end, you know, there's that self-criticism that comes in like, oh gosh, that was too much. I need to edit here. And I, I love that part of the process too. The, re the evaluation of it all and sort of the rolling over in your mind. Why did I decide that I needed to do this? And it was transformative for me. I could not have done that with you unless I had done those poetry dinners that summer. That gave me the confidence to be able to express in menu. But the difference is there was no performance of the poetry, the collaboration of all the people coming together. It just, it was electrifying really, honestly. It really was breathtaking, beautiful, transformative, all of the above. I cannot wait for our next one. Cannot wait for our next one. So now that we've kind of explored a little bit about how you utilize creativity in everything that you do, let's just talk about it in terms of sort of an important practice for all of us. Because I feel like, especially right now, where a lot of us 
isolating at home still and needing some outlets to express ourselves. What do you, do you have a daily sort of creative practice or do you do anything to get the juices flowing to to kind of make sure you're staying on track with keeping that creative voice flowing within you? I do a lot of research. So I do do a lot of reading. And then there comes a time when you can't handle any more information. I'm sure you go through this exact same thing when you're trying to pick a show. I have to allow myself sort of the sifting out. I don't know if it's a daily part of the process, but for me, actually, a big part of my creative process is to go in to the Holly Hill Inn kitchen and cook. I do that. Like today, I'm going to do a huge amount of pickled asparagus. So there's not a lot of creative aspects of pickled asparagus, right? It's, It's pretty much, you know, cut and dry how you do it. But it's the process of engaging in that rote activity. It, I don't know what it does, but it just allows my mind to uh, start to roll over all the things that are going on inside of it. And it sort of settles it down and allows it. It's sort of a sifting process for me. I'm lucky because my, my chefs all still work. We're not isolated. We're healthy at work. We have been since the COVID-19, since the coronavirus became a part of our lives. That process of just cooking with Nat, Tyler, and Charles was amazing because they're really good at what they do. They all have, so we spin off each other. I'm sure you have that, right? You just spin, you ricochet off of each other, and then you can't handle that anymore, and you have to go through the sifting process again. (laughs) And it's kind of a combination of everything, of reading, of being in the herb garden, of cooking, and of talking that sort of helps me bring it all down. Yes. And do you ever have that, I guess you would call it chef's block instead of writer's block, but do you ever have that moment of just sort of staring at your notebook going, I don't know where to begin? (laughs) Yes. How do I start? (laughs) Yes. Oh gosh. Yes. All the time where you're trying to write a menu all the time. And when I, when that happens to me, I go back to the ingredient. So then I go all the way back and I go, oh, it's, it's rosemary. Okay. Rosemary and lemon. That's what I want to do. And I'll, a lot of times I'll go and look at the physical ingredient. I'll go to the garden and I'll look at that or, right. So it's really easy to get inspired when you're a chef in the spring and summer, because everything that we're getting in is just incredible. It's beautiful. And in the winter, it's very hard because we're not getting any beautiful stuff in. (laughs) <laughs> when you when they're when the inspiration you're having a tr- hard time finding the inspiration you're staring at the blank page what do you do um I get up I get up a- away from the I, w- I get away from the computer because I'm usually writing the menus on computers and I go for a walk I try to do something that's like totally different from where I am and or a lot of times I'll you know one thing that helps me a lot is singing but now I don't get that outlet. I try, like, I, uh, for those of you you know me well, I love to ring bells and sing in my church choir. So that was something I did twice a week. It engaged me in music, something totally different each week. And I really, I forgot, I didn't realize how much I was relying on that until we're all virtual. So there's no choir. There's no choir practice. There's no bell ringing. So I've been trying to play the piano a little bit <laughs> for the first time in 30 years terrible but at least I feel like it's the getting your hands moving together at the same time yeah it's like cross training yeah exactly (laughs) well I'm sure you've had to rely on your 
creative juices during this global pandemic as we've all been transforming our businesses and finding ways to operate in the new normal. How have you and your team been sort of calling on your creative skills to, to as we all are saying, pivot in this time? The best thing about owning your own business is the ability to change. And one of the things I, I have loved that from day one, that's one of the great rewards of owning your own business. There's a lot of downsides too, like risk and anxiety and cash flow and all that stuff. But one of the great things is Matt, Charles, and Tyler and I, we just we started writing to-go menus for Holly Hill Inn. We've never done a to-go menu at Holly Hill Inn in 20 years. Probably in the 40-year history of Holly Hill Inn, there's never been. Then we decided saying, we want it to express Holly Hill Inn. We don't want, we want it to be elegant. We want it to be all local. And so then we started adding snack bags. Now we have a market bag that's coming out with David doing local vegetables. We've converted Windy Corner into a marketplace. We're flipping Wallace into a marketplace. Uh, we're going to flip Thirsty Fox into a bodega. Business can be very creative if if you're willing to make change. Yes. And I feel... I feel like I've been saying to folks a lot during this time that there's so many ways we're innovating here at the LEC, so many new things we're trying, like this podcast, for example, something that we've dreamed about for years, but we're kind of being forced into this change. But it's also kind of exciting. There's some really beautiful new things that we're learning and that are coming out of all of this. One of our responses to having all our dining rooms shut down was to do an Easter cookie box and sell it online. We have sold almost a little over 4,000 cookie boxes. That's amazing. It is amazing. And so our community has really come out to support us. That's one thing that that says, but it was so fun thinking of like, now we have this cookie box where all the cookies are designed to be eaten with bourbon <laughs> and like all the, all the flavor components are the same. I love, I love doing all of that. And how do we reach our customers? If, we can't, if our customers can't come to us, how can we come to our customers? I think we have to have those things ready because if this happens again, we want to be able to do that. And we're not, not going to give up. On, at Holly Hill, I think forever, for time memorial, you'll be able to get a to-go dinner now. It's part of our DNA. And you can order it online. We didn't have that before. And we didn't have order online at Wallace or Wendy. And now everybody has online stores. We're changing platforms in order to make it easier. We all have to learn a new way in order to keep ourselves healthy and safe. I feel the same. I feel the absolute same. Well, Wida, Michael, we here in Central Kentucky are so lucky to have you. Thank you for all the creativity that you have brought, not just on the culinary scene, but to our entire community. And thank you for the ways that you're continuing to innovate, to find ways to to bring us together in whatever way we can right now. So I'm so appreciative and I'm so glad to know you. I feel that way about you, Lindy. Thank you, the Lex. Thank you so much for all of the, all the music, all the songs, all the dancing. It's wonderful. I can't wait. I can't wait to be able to go to the theater. <laughs> Me too. Me too. But in the meantime, we got the memories. We got the memories. And we talked about that with food, too. We talked about that with Scripted Table. You know, we, we can sense memory those times when we're all around the table until we can be together again like that. That's true. 
Wida, thank you so much for being with us today. And listeners, if you're interested in more information about Wida's family of restaurants, her Holly Hill Suppers to Go, favorite cookie box, and pantry essentials, be sure to visit her website, WidaMichael.com. That's O-U-I-T-A-M-I-C-H-E-L.com. I hope you enjoyed our look back at Creative Conversations with Wida Michael. Wida's new cookbook, Just a Few Miles South, is available for purchase now, featuring recipes from Windy Corner Market, Wallace Station, The Midway Bakery, and other Chef Wida favorites. While that's simmering in your mind, Lindy and I are still cooking up some incredible episodes for our fourth season of Beyond the Fourth Wall. We'll see you soon. To find out more about the Lexington Theatre Company, visit our website, lexingtontheatrecompany.org, and follow us on social media at the Lex Theatre Co.